Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Second uh, Samuel 23. Second Samuel 23. Uh, we're going to look at uh, a theme, 2 Samuel 23. Uh, I think one of the most uh, amazing stories in the Bible, uh, you know, I, I love reading these stories, uh, from, I mean, they're not stories, they're historical, accurate historical records, uh, factual events, uh, but these uh, stories, uh, so when I say stories, that's what I mean, okay, uh, of of things that happen in the Bible, and this is one every time I, I come through it or come to it, uh, it just amazes me. And you picture in your mind, you know, what this was actually like. So I think it'll be a blessing to us. But we're talking tonight about the theme of availability. Uh, we focus, especially with our young people, but I think really with all of us, on character traits, on developing character. Uh, and one of our character traits is availability, and that's defined as being willing to change your plans to be used by God and to serve others. And availability is something we all need in our lives, and in our message tonight we see uh, a very remarkable account of availability, and I think we can all learn something from that. Uh, so we'll start reading in uh, verse number 8 of chapter 23. The Bible says, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And you just, just picture that. This was the chief of the chief, uh, the chief of the captains of all of David's mighty men, Right? In one battle, he slew 800 men. That's, that's just amazing to think about that. I've never experienced combat. The closest thing uh, happened on Friday. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'll tell you about that in a moment, but we should get to our scripture reading. And, uh, verse number 9, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. And you might make fun of his dad's name, but not after you hear what he did. Uh, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that was there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. So the, the men were away, but uh, Eleazar was there uh, with... Uh, uh, by himself, and when everybody came back, he had slew the whole attacking army. All anybody else had left to do was just, you know, pick up, loot the bodies. And he arose and smote, uh, sorry, verse 11, and after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. Uh, and the Philistines were gathered together unto a troop, and there was a, where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground, and defended it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And the three uh, of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, right, which was uh, the um, birthplace of David, 
uh, it was a very special place to David, was now possessed by the Philistines, right? In the battle between Israel and the Philistines, the Philistines now held this, this city. And uh, David longed, right? David's just, he's the king, he's just saying out loud. He longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew out water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it, these things did these three mighty men. Let's pray this evening. Father, just ask your blessing on our time around your word tonight. I pray that you'd help me to share what you put on my heart, uh, that we could be men and women, young people of God that are available to serve you, and particularly to serve you through serving others. Help us understand that uh, though we may not be as remarkable as these men's, these men were, we all have something to offer for you in serving others. And uh, we just look forward to what we'll learn tonight together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so, uh, we think about these three mighty men. David, the chapter goes on to tell us that David had 37 mighty men in all, but these three were the chiefest of the three. We know that uh, um, Adino slew 800 men in one battle, we don't really know how many men Eleazar or Shema they had fought and been victorious over, but we know that um, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the Bible says uh, later on that he slew 300 in one battle, and yet he attained not unto the first three. So we can assume that all of these men did something more than 300, uh, you know, beating 300 men in combat. And uh, combat... You know, I'm not, not a soldier. I know some of you, you were and you've been there, and I never have. I mentioned Friday night. So there's this place in North Pole that does airsoft. And um, my brother Chris and I went there with some of the teen boys to play airsoft for the first time, and, uh, which, you know, that was, uh, it was painful. <laughs> it was very painful. Uh, and it was, uh, the, the worst was, uh, so you, you get shot with the little plastic BBs and, you know, it's probably it's not supposed to hurt. Well, uh, we were sharing pictures afterwards that you know, won't make it to Facebook, I hope. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's some welts all over us and uh, drawn blood and, uh, you'd, you'd get shot and you'd have to go back and respawn at your base. And, uh, these kids, I don't know if they were nervous or what, but, you walk past these uh, barricades and everything, and they see somebody, and they just panic and shoot. Well, you're on their team. And man, I got shot right behind the ear at point-blank range from this airsoft rifle. And, uh, oh, man, it just, it hurt. I got my, uh, and my back is just covering about a dozen welts all over my back. I think, you know how you get shot in airsoft in the back? Walking, right? You're like you're, dead. you're supposed to hold your hands up, say "dead man walking," you know, and you walk back, and so you're walking back to base, and then everybody sees you, and they're just like bam, 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 you know. So it's like, it's like, I'm, can't you see I'm dead? You know, like I'm walking away from the battle. Stop shooting me in the back. Oh, I was getting, I was, I had to calm down. I was getting mad. 
Uh, they shot me, somebody shot me in the ear, right? Like right in the back tip of my ear. Oh, it was, yeah, it was just uh, um, it's spiritual growth. Yeah, what's that? Good times, good, lots of fun, lots of fun. You know, things we do for, for our, our sons. But, uh, and of course, the twins were like, oh, this is really fun, Dad. We should go back and do that again. I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I'll stick with Nerf darts, you know? Uh, but, and then... Uh, they, uh, the, they have regulars, right? So picture <laughs> So they have regulars at the show. You couldn't make this up, right? I, I come driving up to go there, and I see this guy getting out. He looks like he's in full, like, battle dress. Like, he just got back from an Iraq deployment. I mean, he's got the helmet with, like, night vision goggles and earmuffs and a full, like, battle chest guard on with, like, eight mags, like, stacked out in front. And every, you know, seriously. And I'm like, man, I want that guy on my team. I don't know who he is, and uh, this guy shows up with like a cowboy hat on and this six-shooter like in this quick-draw holster, right? And just wearing sunglasses. And he's like, are you going to put a mask on? He's like, no. So like, well, this guy's not wearing a mask. Like that in itself was intimidating because I've been shot through a mask and it hurt. And, uh, or with the mask on. And of course, they've got these super high-powerful, high-dollar, you know, pistols that are, you know, deadly accurate, right? You just stick your head around a corner and you're like, ting, like right in the forehead. And uh, bring these uh, sharpshooters in. And uh, anyway, it was fun, but uh, that was my experience with combat. It's not, not nearly this glorious. But um, when, I, when I look at these men, I think, what did they have? Well, I, I see that difficulty was uh, not foreign to them, right? used to being outnumbered. I mean, all of these men fought hundreds of other men, and we do know that all combat, especially hand-to-hand combat like we would see in the Bible, uh, is, is vicious, it's bloody, it's horrible, and yet uh, not, not one, not ten, not fifty, not a hundred, but hundreds of the enemy that their sole purpose is to take you down, and one man standing uh, one after the other, after the hundred, 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 right? Eight hundred soldiers could not take him down that day. Uh, difficulty. We see character. Uh, working alone. We see Eleazar. He was, when everybody else fled, he alone stood and, uh, and fought. We see um, enduring till the end. Steadfastness of uh, Shema. That he would, uh, he protected the ground. He wasn't going to give it up. He said, this, this piece of ground... Uh, is worth fighting for, worth dying for. He had that purpose, steadfastness. And so these men uh, were remarkable just in these accounts. But then I think about them and the heart that they had toward David. Uh, you know, David was no shirker when it came to combat, right? We uh, read a little bit about David this morning in 1 Samuel 17, and you go on to chapter 18, and David is made the captain of the host of Israel. He was the general of the armies of Israel under Saul after defeating Goliath. And of course, that's where Saul's heart began to turn against David because uh, it's the song that the people sing, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so David was a, a king who loved God, but he was also a warrior. He, he had his own... Uh, uh, remarkable stories of uh, victory. Um, of course, there was the 
the, the dowry, or right? And uh, I mean, he had to go slay a lot of men to give Saul what Saul wanted in order to marry his daughter. Um, and uh, that's there in 1 Samuel as well. But uh, so these men, though, they were warrior. I mean, maybe some of the greatest warriors that have ever lived on the face of the earth. You know, I, I don't know. We think about uh, the, the great uh, soldiers of history, and certainly these men would fall into that. And so David is looking at his uh, hometown of Bethlehem uh, and just pining kind of in his heart, right? Oh, to have some water. Not like the water tasted different from the well of Bethlehem, but David just, you know, saying out loud to himself uh, that somebody would get me a drink. And, and these men heard that. So we see, first of all, in verse 15, uh, David's request. David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now, David knows that the Philistines have possessed the city, possessed the gate. Obviously, it's guarded. He's not thinking that anybody's going to do it. He's just letting his request uh, out, probably not even realizing anybody heard them, but yet these men, they heard that. And I, we need to understand that not everything that we need to do in life is a command. Uh, sometimes... We operate under what is required, right? What, what do I have to do? Yes, as a soldier, if your commander says, go to battle and fight the enemy, you have to do that. But these men weren't interested in just what was commanded. We need to be sensitive to the unspoken wishes and desires of those God, God has called us to serve. You know, Luke 17, Jesus said, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And so whether it be in our homes or in our workplaces or in our church or community, you know, we have things that we are our duty to do, right? That we're commanded to do. We have to show up to work on time. We have to work until it's time to go. You know, our lunch hour should be an hour. Our break should be the break time. And so those are expected of us. But in the end, if all we do is what we're expected to do, what we're commanded to do, Jesus said, you're yet unprofitable servants. A profitable servant is somebody who goes above and beyond. And that is what is required of us as Christians. And that's what these men uh, did. That's what was remarkable. I mean, to slay Ten to one in battle would be a remarkable feat. I imagine back in the day, if you were able to do two to one, you know, you're, you're making headway. And yet they did, you know, many thousands of times uh, percentage-wise more than that. And so they just heard David say, oh, that someone would. He just longed for this thing. It didn't affect David's life. It wasn't life or death. It wasn't going to win back the city. It was just a desire that was on David's heart. And yet these... Men looked at each other. How many think are down there? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I can probably take them. And uh, so they went for it. Um, but would we have that kind of heart, you know, that kind of availability? We're not just looking for what's required of us, but rather uh, what we could do to go above and beyond that. You know, we're teaching a class. And hey, we're expected if we're committed to teaching a class in CIA or somewhere else that we. We show up on Wednesdays and we teach the class. But we do a lot more than that. Uh, you know, parents assign chores to their kids. And uh, it's like, well, you told me to take out the trash. You didn't tell me I need to put a bag back in there afterwards, right? I mean, you've got to take out the trash and then clean out the stuff that fell under the bag in the bottom of the trash can. 
You know, it's those little things in life, right, to do things in an excellent manner. You know, I think about Daniel when I think about somebody who did things in an excellent manner. Daniel really amazes me because he was taken into captivity as just a child, a, uh, a young boy. And yet he rose to the highest level of uh, leadership, not in one empire, not in two empires, but in three different empires, Daniel served as a leader to emperors. Uh, and, and that's just remarkable in and of itself because when one empire takes over another empire, they usually don't take uh, all the leaders, the princes and the advisors and say, oh, you serve that guy, why don't you serve me too? Uh, it's usually not the way, way it went. Um, I mean, we don't see that in America even, right? The peaceful transition of power. I guarantee you on November uh, 3rd, if Biden wins come, you know, January 20th or whenever he takes office, uh, he's not going to tell Trump's cabinet, hey, you guys did a great job for Trump. You just stay here and be my cabinet too. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, it didn't happen when Trump took office. He didn't keep Obama's guys on board. And so, yeah, Daniel uh, had such a, the Bible says he had an excellent spirit. And so um, we see that excellence. He just, he served well. I was going to teach a message tonight on this thought, uh, what do the righteous do when the wicked rule? But uh, that's a pretty short message because we do the same thing we do when the righteous rule. We pray for them and we do, uh, we just do right. So it really didn't change what we do. So if you're, well, we, you know, probably get out of here early, but we need more than five minutes. So uh, <clears throat> um, some probably people wouldn't be mad at me after the, it's been a long weekend. But uh, uh, so, uh, but they, they heard that request and they weren't willing just to do uh, you know, if David said, line up, we're going to take the city back, right? That would have been their duty. But going to get him a drink of water, that was beyond the duty. But then verse 16, we, see, we saw the request of David, but we see the, the run of the mighty men. Um, just to, to be able, I hope when we get to heaven, some of these things we can, re, you know, kind of replay like home video, right? Uh, uh, heaven's home videos, and we can just see... Uh, how this happened. But in verse number 16, and the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem and that was by the gate and took it. Uh, and so, um, you know, the men, they were, they were prepared. They'd been preparing their whole life for, they were the special operation soldiers, right? Uh, preparation is, is key to success. Uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail, uh, as they say. And yet these men, we're willing to break through the line. And I have to think that in this war against Philistines, uh, these men were probably known. They're probably known in that area. Uh, did they know them by sight? I don't know. But somebody probably heard, uh, the Philistines probably heard of Adino. I mean, you don't slay 800 enemy soldiers in the army, you know, not know about you. Um, and so uh, maybe they, they saw those, like, wait, that's, that's, uh, that, that's the Adino, Eleazar, and Shema. Uh, let's just let, let, them, let them through, you know. But uh, it's like there's, there's only a thousand of us, but there's three of them. Uh, and so, yeah, I just we don't know how that happened, but it says they, they broke through, right? Then they had to draw water out of the well. So they're standing there, and uh, we just see the, the teamwork that they had together. You know, they, they had to get the water out of the well, and so, you know, are they, you just, you're already picturing this, you know, they're fencing off, you know, you got two of them, you know, as guard, one guy's, 
you know, dragging the well up, and it's like, ah, just take the bucket, you know, with you. And then they, uh, you know, had to get it, you know, fill up the water skin or whatever and, and get it back. Uh, but they, they acted with purpose, right? They were prepared. They had purpose. Ephesians 5 and verse number 15, God tells us, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. You know, these men, uh, they heard the request of their king, and they had such, such a love for uh, the king that they went into uh, this remarkable battle, right, three against a garrison, uh, simply to get a cup of water, to just bring the king a drink of water at his request. But it took preparation. You know, we, if we're going to be used by God, we have to be prepared. We know that God tells us it's the Word of God that prepares us, right? That we can be workmen, uh, uh, truly furnished unto every good work. That's what the Word of God does in our lives. And so that's what we try to do when we come to church, when we learn God's principles and God's character and put that in our lives so that we're prepared uh, for the unexpected. It's not as though they had time to plan this operation. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, David just said this in passing. They heard it and they did it. And so the preparation was part of their life already so that when the opportunity arose they could execute upon that and that's the way it needs to be with us the Bible tells us be ready always right to give an answer uh, for the hope that lies within us and so that preparation is something we need to be doing every day that's why the Word of God needs to be part of our lives why prayer needs to be part of our lives why uh, the fellowship of the believers needs to be part of our lives so we're prepared we don't know what we're going to be facing tomorrow God does, and, uh, but we don't, and so there's going to be opportunities uh, to be used by God in others' lives, and so uh, we have, the preparation happens today for, what we, for the opportunities that may be there tomorrow. Um, and, and that's these men. They were ready, they were hardened, and they had purpose, and uh, that's the way we need to be in our lives. So we see the request, the, the run, but... Look at the response of David, the response of the king. Uh, verse number 17. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. Right? He poured it out as a drink offering unto the Lord. Uh, the king was honored by this. He was really moved by this. There's no doubt that David had great love for these men. We can read through uh, first and second Samuel in the life of David and being hunted by Saul and and David even as the true anointed king uh, you know lived in a cave right on the run uh, having his his men with him uh, serving really as mercenaries even for the Philistines at times uh, and just different things that were going on in David's life and and the relationship there uh, and it ought to be that way between, you know, us and those that we serve, whether it be parents and children. You know, I, I've heard, I understand people are saying it, and I've heard people say, you know, I'm not trying to be a friend to my child, right? I'm, I'm supposed to be their parent. And the question I ask myself is, why can't I be both? You know, why can't I be a parent and a friend to my child? There needs to be relationship there. Uh, rules without relationship, it breeds rebellion. It just always does. 
you know, Jesus was God, and yet he called his disciples what? He called them friends. He said, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right to do so, but I call you friends. And so uh, God is a friend to us. He's almighty God in heaven, ruler of the universe, right? God can, can palm, right? The, he stretches out his hand, and the span of God's hand is wider than the universe is. And so yet he looks down at us and says, we're our friends. And so I see relationship here between the king and these mighty men. And we need to be working on that in our own lives. Uh, the king didn't expect this. I am the king. I want you to go get me a drink of water. That wasn't the heart of David. Uh, David was uh, a great picture of servant leadership. He, he loved his men. He served them. He served with them. And those are the type of leaders that we need to be in our homes and families and in our churches where we're building relationships with people. You know, I want my children to respect me for sure. I mean, that, that they have to. If they don't, there's consequences. But I want them to trust me and I want to be their friend. I want them to be able to come to me. I want them to want to come to me. I want their first reaction to be, when they have a problem, I need to go dad. Dad can fix my problem. Dad knows how to fix this, right? I want them to come to me. Just like God wants us to come to him when we have a problem. You know, there's a lot of people who don't believe they have a God that they can go to with their problems, right? That somehow when they mess up, when they make a mistake, uh, that God's going to be angry with them, that there's going to be uh, consequences for that. And a lot of, I think, Family relationships are based on that. Kids make mistakes, and I can't tell mom and dad about this because they're going to just—they're going to be mad at me. Uh, there's going to be consequences. You know what? When we make mistakes, there are consequences, uh, but that doesn't. Uh, but the the relationship needs to be strong enough to withstand those consequences, right? The the purpose of correction, the purpose of chastisement, of punishment, is not to punish the the wrong you did, but it's. Uh, correction, so for future, uh, uh, so in the future, things go better for you. Um, and, and that's the way God chastises us, because he loves us. But anyway, I just see this relationship here, how honored the king was. He was, he was amazed that they could do that, and it's just, a, I think, a beautiful picture of authority uh, that, we, that sometimes is missing. You know, it's not a king ruling over his soldiers, but this this love and mutual respect that goes both ways. You know, we're called to be servants. And of course, Jesus, we see that great passage in Philippians chapter 2, right? Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he took upon himself the form of a servant. Uh, and, and so Jesus came in and showed us how to love others and serve others regardless of it. He says, you want to be chief amongst you? Be, be the servant of all. And so, but the Lord was also honored in this as well. He poured, out, it poured it out unto the Lord. Um, David wasn't looking for honor as the king. I really believe David's heart was that in all things, God would be honored, that God would be glorified. And he took that, that love and that respect and really that remarkable act of servitude from his mighty men, and he turned it over to the Lord. You know, God is the one that deserves all the praise, all the glory, uh, not, not me, uh, you know, you, you get complimented. There's people who do things simply for the praise of it. And uh, as Christians, we need to understand that apart from God, we're nothing. And all good in my life, all praise that comes to me, right, it should be redirected. Otherwise, 
We become lifted up with pride. There's no good thing in me. Uh, if you knew everything God knew about me, uh, you know, what I was mumbling under my breath, people were shooting me in the ear, I guess, you know, on Friday. Uh, so, um, but uh, David wanted to make sure God was honored by that. And uh, the mighty men, though, uh, they also had confidence they had served well. You know, David's, David's praise to them, and we don't probably see it as that big of a thing, right, to, to pour something out to the Lord, but symbolically, in the economy, the spiritual economy of Israel, you know, that was a, that was a big deal. A, a drink offering, you know, for, for the king, uh, you know, the anointed of God to pour that out to the Lord, those soldiers, those mighty men, they had confidence uh, that they had served well. They, they received the right kind of praise. I think praise is so important in the response when, when people serve well. It's probably an area that I'm lacking a little bit, right? Well, We'll see, uh, you know, come, I'll come home and I'll see the lawn mowed uh, and, and nobody asked the kids to mow the lawn. They just, it wasn't raining, it was dry, they knew they needed to do it and they mowed the lawn, you know. They, they just took it upon themselves. And they tried to use the new trimmer to trim around everything, right? And uh, uh, it looked like they gave themselves a haircut, <laughs> you know, with, with shears with no guard or something. And uh, so you just got to be careful, right? We want to we praise what's well, and sometimes we just, you know, we, we will find fault, you know, right? we, we look at what wasn't done right, not what was done right, and, and praise is important, and, uh, and our children, all of us, right, we just thrive on praise, I mean, a, a compliment, you know, one good compliment, you know, early enough in the day, boy, it'll just, it'll keep you energized and going, um, all day long. And so these mighty men, though, they had that confidence. When David poured that drink out as an offering to the Lord, you know, saying, hey, is this not the blood of the men that risked it? He just, it was such a, a act of praise to those men that they were willing to do that. And we need to make sure that we are uh, giving the praise that's deserved. Not, not false praise, not building them up, but when, when our young people do well, when our spouses do something well. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for us as guys to come home and uh, not get what we want for dinner and, um, you know, and be like, I want the best thing you ever cook. I mean, I never say that, but I'm talking about Chris. And, uh, <laughs> no, right? It's, it's not that, you know, but, uh, but you know, we, we just forget that, you know, our, our wives or whoever, right, uh, made dinner, you know, they had everything else going on that day, and yet they took the time to, you know, prepare a meal, and um, we should be giving praise where praise is deserved. It's part of building that, that relationship. Um, there's a lot of, lot of people, and I've experienced this in my life, and, and both as a recipient and the cause, where if you can do nothing right, what's the point of trying anymore? And we need to look at the effort that people expend in serving and praise them for the effort, you know, the results, right? You guys, you see all these, you know, young girls sitting over here and they probably all like doing the little artsy things. Or, and so, right, anybody as a parent ever get, the, you know, the little picture, you know, when you're kids and uh, you, you look at the, the, you know, like, oh, this is me and you, daddy, like holding hands, right? And there's a rainbow and a thing. And, uh, and right, it's, it's not as though the, uh, it's a great work. I mean, it is a great work, but you know what I mean? Uh, you just you, you, you praise them for the effort that was behind it and the heart behind it. 
And uh, we're not just looking at the results because uh, uh, we're looking at the heart and the effort and the sacrifice that was behind the service. And uh, uh, because results can improve over time, right, with experience. But that, that heart and that spirit of, and that attitude of service and uh, going above and beyond, um, that uh, is hard to put into somebody. And once you break that, it's, it's hard to get back. And so the king was very wise in his response there, I believe. And so as we conclude tonight, I, I want us to think about 2 Thessalonians 3.13, which says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in, in well-doing. And so God wants us to be available. He wants us to be always looking around for people that we can serve, whether it be at home, at work, in church, in youth group, in CI, whatever it is, uh, looking uh, to serve. It, it did me well yesterday you know, to see a lot of the younger girls that uh, they can't play softball yet, but they wanted to be the ones to like run up and get the bats after, after right? They wanted to, they wanted just to help, they wanted to serve, you know, in that spirit of service. So as we conclude, three, three thoughts, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll be done for the evening. Uh, number one, learn to listen to those around you. Uh, you need to learn to read between the lines. Well, if my wife wants to go out for dinner, she'll tell me, you know, she'll make reservations and let me know what time I'm supposed to be there whatever the case may be. She'll let me know when it's time for a date night. Uh, you just need to, to learn to, to listen, not to the, the express wishes of those that are around you, um, but uh, sometimes the most important communication is more subtle than that. Um, and so, and that, that means you have to do that on purpose. Uh, sometimes we're dense. If any of you guys are like me, and uh, even the express communication you, huh? <laughs> What'd you say? Uh, I know you were talking, <laughs> but could you repeat that? Uh, I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. But um, the, uh, we, we need to learn to listen to those around us and, and to keep our eyes open. You know, sometimes it's not, it's not what people say. It's just that, that kind of, you know, downfalling countenance or that, you know, reaction, you know, in the spirit. And, and so just Know those that God has called you to serve. Know those that God has put in your life. And so when that countenance is fallen, when that attitude is changed a little bit, you can respond right away to that and, and meet that need. So um, oftentimes, you know, the little slivers of life, when they don't get, you know, pulled out in time, right, they get infected and, and just become much, much worse. But number two, you know, believe that you do have something to offer. You know, these mighty men, right, they're, they're pretty remarkable. Read the story. I mean, nobody in this room could be like these men. Uh, they, they were amazing. Uh, but all of us, in our own way, are amazing, right? Uh, end of every veggie tales, right? Uh, God made you special and loves you very much, right? And, and that's really true. Uh, we, we all are special snowflakes uh, that God made. And we all have something to offer to this world and to those that God has called us to serve. We have to believe that. Sometimes we think that we don't have anything to give to those around us, but that's not true because it's not us, it's Christ living through us, right? We are his hands, his feet, his mouth in this world, and Christ has something good for every man, for every person, but that goodness comes through us as his people, and so we have to believe that we do have something to offer. 
we, we can do great things for people. It's, it's just, uh, you'll, if you've ever received it, I remember uh, at, at a former church I was at, we taught a young couples class, and we did it, I don't know, five or six years maybe, we, we taught this young couples class. And in all those years, uh, till this day, I still remember it. At one person, one time, gave me a card. It was just a little card that said, you know, Jason, thank you for teaching this class. It's just encouraging to me. It really helps me. And I enjoy your teaching, right? And, uh, and this was just years and years later, right? I mean, this was 15 years ago, and I still remember it to this day. I mean, I picture the card and everything. It just it stuck with me. I mean, go back farther than that. I was in second grade, and uh, we still had twisty slides back then. And we did recess if it was 20 below or colder. Can you kids believe that? Like, and in school, if it was 20 below, you went out for recess for 30 minutes and played outside. You know, you kids probably die uh, nowadays. But we'd go out playing, and, uh, well, what we, you would take a bunch of snow, and you would throw it on the slides, because you could really get more speed with that snow on there. And you'd get this big pit at the bottom. Anyway, I hit the twisty slide, crashed at the bottom, and I broke my collarbone completely second grade. It hurt so bad. Uh, and, um, but some other knucklehead fell off the monkey bars on the same recess, recess, you know, probably going to still have monkey bars, and uh, he had a concussion, so, you know, they made me sit on the wall because the ambulance was coming for the kid with the concussion. So for, it's, you know, middle of winter for I don't know how long, I'm just, I'm crying. I remember this little girl came up to me and was like, are you okay? And I just yelled at her, I'm like, get away from me, I'm fine, you know? And, uh, but she was just trying to show kindness to me, and, uh, you know, that'd be a great story. We'd be like, then I married her, you know, 30 years later, but then that didn't happen. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, anyway. <laughs> I, I did much better than that. And um, so, uh, um, but the point is, is that we think that these, these acts of kindness, right, these little acts of service to other people are just small, uh, but they have a huge impact. I mean, they can, they can change the direction of a, of a life, uh, a direction. So um, don't think that it doesn't, it doesn't make an impact. It does. And, and you and I can probably all go back in the history of our lives and in our minds and think about, you know, one little act of kindness or one little act of unkindness that has stuck with you for years and even decades some cases nigh unto centuries and uh, and so it just stays with us for a very long time and it may not be as remarkable as these men getting the water from Bethlehem uh, but it's uh, just as impactful and then um, lastly understand that serving others well uh, means denying yourself right that that's what a servant does a servant puts others before themselves and Jesus used that as an illustration. He says, what servant who has a master uh, says, oh, hey, master, when I'm done eating, then I'll get you dinner, right? Like, that's not the way it works. Uh, the servant feeds the master, and when the master is well-fed and done, then the servant can eat themselves. Uh, that's what service is. It's putting others before them. And, uh, and I understand, you know, what some of what was going on yesterday with, you know, the, the kids and, you know, people wanting to play, and we mentioned that a little bit, but I, I did talk to them, you know, all, all the teens, and said, hey, uh, you know, just uh, have a good attitude about it, 
You know, if, uh, for, for you to go in means somebody has to come out. And so, you know, what, what makes you so special that somebody else should be pulled out of the game so that you can go into the game, right? That's not the right, right mindset. You just submit to authority. And you, uh, you uh, respect those decisions of those that are in charge above you. That's all about life, right? Bosses are going to tell you to do something you don't want to do, but they're the boss, and so you do it. And uh, to learn to be a good servant, you've got to learn to deny yourself. It's not what's best for me. It's not what I want. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about those around me, about those that God has called me to serve. Um, you know, we have to all be very thankful that we don't have a Savior who put himself above everybody else, right? Jesus did the opposite. He put everybody, he put all of mankind, all of humanity, a fallen world above himself. And yet he was God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so if there was one person who deserved to have everybody bow before him, it was Christ. And someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Uh, but on this earth, in this life, setting an example for us as his people, he put everybody else before himself. And how that would change our lives and change our families and change our workplaces and our communities uh, if we as God's people would serve in that way, making ourselves available, realizing that God gives us opportunities to put others before ourselves and to meet needs if we'll just open up our eyes, take our focus off ourselves, and put them on others. Uh, then, in God's view, I truly believe we become just as mighty men as these three that we talked about tonight, when we put others before ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to serve others. It's no small thing to put others before ourselves. Uh, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, there's not been a man yet that does not love his own flesh and cherishes it and nourishes it, James tells us, but yet you call us as followers of you to put our desires on the back burner, to put our wants on the back burner and put others before ourselves. And in so doing, we truly find the path to joy in the Christian life by serving others. And I pray as we go into this next week, in each of our uh, different spheres of life, you would help us open up our eyes to the needs around us so we might serve you well by serving others well. We thank you for the opportunities you do give us and just help us to walk in them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.